As a church, since the beginning of June, we have been journeying through the book of Acts, also known as the Acts of the Apostle, Apostles. Uh, these are the stories, these are the accounts of the activities of the people who were followers of the way, or Christians, or disciples. There's plenty of different words we use to, to define this group. And it's the book of Acts that accounts for these early miracles, these early teachings, these profound moments of, of conversion and resurrection and forgiveness, and we get to read about them. And so we started this journey in June, and uh, we journey through this book until Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving might seem like it's 10 years away. <laughs> Uh, it'll be here before we know it, I, I, I suspect. Um, so this morning, we'll be in Acts chapter 9. Uh, last week, we looked at the first half of Acts chapter 9. This week, looking at the second half of it. Um, I'd like to begin this morning by reading out of the book of Acts, but, but then I would like to tell you a story about a resident of Peoria named Jeremy and his friends, and, and I'll tell you right now, Jeremy isn't his actual name, right? <laughs> we're, we're not here putting people's business out, um, so we're going to call him Jeremy even though that's not his real name, and I think you'll be encouraged by both of these stories. So first, let's look at our story from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 32 through 43. I will uh, read the story for us this morning. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lada. There he found a man named Irenaeus who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Irenaeus, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately he got up. Those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and she died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him to please come at once. And so Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken to the upstairs room that Tabitha was in. All of the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Tabitha had made while she was still with them. Peter sent everyone out of the room. He got down on his knees and he prayed. And he turned toward Tabitha and said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. Peter took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, 
and many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Two weeks ago, I was given the privilege of traveling with a few area health professionals from a local hospital to visit, check in with, and provide care for several residents of Peoria who do happen to live on the street. A few of these healthcare workers have existing relationships with the residents to the point where stories had been shared and mutuality and trust had been built. And as our group was approaching the encampment, several residents anxiously approached one of the doctors asking, is Jeremy doing okay? The doctor replied, Jeremy is okay. He is out of the hospital, and he has been housed in a local rehabilitation center. The residents who heard this news and heard the report celebrated. I learned that a few weeks prior, Jeremy had been beaten up by a fellow resident. (laughs) Both knees broken, his body badly beaten. He had received the nasty end of someone's bipolar episode. The fact that he was not dead, but that he was in fact well enough to not only be out of the hospital, but that he was in a rehab center and not back out on the street, was incredible news to the residents. Jeremy was in such close proximity to his friends, and their relationship was so mutual and so intertwined that good news for Jeremy became good news for his friends and his neighbors. So with that true story in mind, let us enter the story of the coming back to life of Tabitha, who was a disciple who the scriptures call Thorcus. It's not Dorcas, it's Thorcus, as the Greeks would pronounce that. The scriptures are sure to mention that she was known for doing good and helping the poor to the extent of making them clothing. However, Tabitha became sick and she died. Her body was prepared for burial and Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, was able to facilitate God raising her back to life. We should follow Tabitha's example of helping the poor. We should be inspired by God's awestruck grace towards her to raise her back to life. These are no small things. However, in this moment this morning, I would like to bring to our attention the significance and the power of relationships, friendships, and mutuality. Because of the love and the care that Tabitha extended to those around her, including, we read, a group of widows, 
Those same widows were quick to the scene of her death, and they were mourning, and they were pleading for someone to help if they could. And because of how clear this connection was, and how clear and strong this mutual affection was, Peter was prompted to be sure to let the widows know first that Tabitha was, in fact, alive again. Because of their relationship, good news for Tabitha was good news for some widows in Joppa. Just like Jeremy's good news was good news for his friends and neighbors, Tabitha's good news was good news for her friends as well. In Genesis chapter 12, this is way towards the beginning of our scriptures, God calls out to a man named Abram, who we would eventually more commonly refer to as Abraham. And in this calling, God sets the tone for how the people of God are to view themselves. That is, to be a blessing to others. When God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, God says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm not only going to bless you, but I'm going to bless others through you. Tabitha of Joppa was undoubtedly a blessing to others. Jeremy of Peoria was and still is a blessing to others. And brothers and sisters, we too are called to be a blessing to others. And this begins in and becomes most full within friendships and proximity and mutual sharing. This reality comes to an impasse (laughs) with the recent thoughts of Michael Frost, who is a church mission observer, practitioner, thinker, and writer. And just a few weeks ago, he wrote and shared an article on his personal blog entitled, The Lonely Crowd, Churches Are Dying Due to Friendlessness. That's a gut punch of a, of a thought. In the article, he cites four primary reasons for this recent trend of friendlessness within the body of Christ and how this translates into the church's witness to the world. These four things that he points to as a cause include a lack of an ability to actively listen to one another. Hesitations on being vulnerable with others, who he calls church church folks being far too busy, and four, church folks expecting newcomers to a community to initiate connection. That is to say, in other terms, church folks expecting the new guest to the gathering to have to be the one to initiate the, hey, let's go get dinner together, rather than the other way around, 
which would, of course, be a far more hospitable invitation. To be sure, there are other reasons, but Frost is not wrong in his assessment. So when it comes to friendships, let's begin where we began. God calls us friend. We read this in John chapter 15, verse 15, where Jesus says, I now call you friend. So know this this morning, if nothing else. God calls you friend. God calls us friend. However, to reduce and limit salvation to a personal encounter with God that only results in a personal relationship with God is short-sighted. And it does not paint as full of a picture as there should be. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that there isn't enough. A personal and only personal relationship with God does not account for the call of Abraham in Genesis 12. It does not shed any kind of light on Jesus who was a friend to strangers who became friends. God saves us. He does. We talked about this last week, how He has His eyes on each and every one of us. So be sure to know that God is saving us as individuals, but in the act of saving us, He makes us a blessing to others. This is our call that that we would connect with God on a personal level but that in that encounter and in that beautiful moment of being seen and now coming to this idea that you are, in fact, a friend of God, our call immediately becomes to be a blessing to others. And this is my offering this morning is that I don't think we can truly bless people like we think we can and like we want to be able to without being friends with them first. This is why I say that, is because the absolute best thing that each and every one of us have to offer is not our money, but it is you. It is your unique personality. It is the love of Christ that is within you. It is your extension of forgiveness. It is your extension of grace. It is your open embrace as a person. That is the absolute best thing that you could ever offer someone. Not your money. It will require a little bit of your time. It takes a little bit of time to have friends but it doesn't matter what's in your house. It doesn't matter what's in your garage. It doesn't matter what's in your wallet. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't matter what's in your basement, your attic. The very, very best thing that you can offer someone is you. But you can't offer yourself without being a friend. So we should praise the Lord, and we do. 
praise you, Lord, that you call us friend. Church, we are known by, we are prized by, we are rejoiced over by, and we are desired by the creator of the universe. And this is great news. This is the best news. But let us also remember that we are most human. We are most like how we were created to be. We are most alive. We are most living into our call as followers of Jesus when we are someone's friend. When we are each other's friend within the family, within the community, within the local church here, but when you are also friend to your neighbor, when you are friend to, this is the toughest one, when you're friend to your family. Jesus, in his teachings, and, you know, he finds himself around skeptical crowds all the time, and and there's a point in Jesus' ministry where he pauses and and he says the following to a group of either skeptics or a group of people who weren't really buying the whole Jesus thing. Jesus goes, if you love those who only love you, what good is that? Everyone else does that. That doesn't make you unique. Let's rephrase that a little bit. Let's draw this out a little bit and say, if you're friends with and if you only contribute to the friendships of those who very clearly just want to be your friend, what good is that? Um, A song that my wife Ty sings all the time, not in full, but the first line, I think, It's the song, Thank You for Being a Friend. Thank you for being a friend. It's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, The words of that song, coincidentally enough, um, are lovely and speak to um, the the, the artist of the song, the the writer of the song, just just expressing his willingness um, to being an incredible friend um, to others. And that's actually what my sermon is entitled today is thank you for being a friend. Because, like we say before and we'll say it again, each and every one of you are the salt of the earth. You bring flavor. You bring preservation. You break up the dryness of the dirt. This is what salt was used for as farmers before. You are the light of the world. As you walk from place to place, As you talk from place to place, you are shining a light that is able to speak into areas where there is simply no narrative. I know we could could point to a lot of things that we would classify as dark in the world, and yes, our light can, of course, shine differently and uniquely in those spaces. But what I am finding to be true more and more and more on a day where we are talking about being a friend, 
I am finding more and more where there are people, there are households, where there is just a void. Where there isn't darkness, but there isn't light. There's just nothing. And sometimes we call nothing loneliness. And sometimes we call nothing depression. And sometimes we call nothing anxiety. Where there is just void. And so what are we called to do? We are called to do exactly what our creator did on the very first page of the book. Is into the void, be light. Into the void where there is no narrative being spoken. I'm talking about in those households, in those lives of people where there isn't anyone berating them, but there isn't anyone lifting them up either. There's nothing. That is where we are called to, that is where we shine brightest, that is where we are most human when we are able to shine brightness into the void. And God does this, doesn't he? In our voids, God shines. Before we were even aware of his love, before we were even aware of him and his salvation, God was shining light into us. Praise the Lord. And so 